0: We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today.
1: Glad you're here today. Listen, last week we started a new series called Reset. And last week we talked about being refreshed whenever we uh, walk in sin, that we can be cleansed from our sin and we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, that we can get honest about our struggle. We can be specific and identify the sin issues that we have and be confident that He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this morning we're gonna talk about part two of this, and that is how to walk in victory over our sin. So we can be cleansed from it when we stumble and fall, but how do we live a life? Of, of victory and my prayer is, is that we'll see today how Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit can give us this life of victory and that you'll leave today refueled, uh, ready to go and, uh, and and walk in victory. So grab your Bibles, Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. As you're turning then let me just ask this question, how many of you have ever had conversations in your home or with friends where you're comparing two things and you're trying to determine which is greater than the other? Like, he, For instance, we think about uh, Coke versus Dr. Pepper, which is greater, Coke or Dr. Pepper? Answer it. Do- Dr. Pepper, some of you said Coke, you're probably not from Texas, Dr. Pepper, this is kind of Dr. Pepper country, um, we think about, y'all heard me ask about this one, you know, uh, uh, who's greater, Michael Jordan or LeBron James, and all the, all the saved people said Michael Jordan, right, and, um, or this one, we, we, uh, here, here's, here's, uh, here's one, um, which Jonas brother is the coolest, it's a trick question, none of them. Um, uh, but here's the, here is the real debate we have in our house. Which is greater? And I need your help because I've got some rebellious children, all right? So which is greater, Juicy's Tacos or Taco Bell? Taco Bell. Juicy's Taco Bell. We've got some unsaved people over here. We'll get right with Jesus later. So Juicy's Tacos. So thank you. My kids are in the room. There's three services where there has been a majority overwhelming uh, decision made. Juicy's Tacos, it is, all right? But here's the thing. When we go to Romans chapter eight, here's what most theologians say about uh, Romans chapter eight they say it is the greatest chapter in the Bible. They believe it's the greatest chapter in the Bible. In fact, there are many that said, if you were to give me one chapter and put me on a remote island, I can only have one chapter of the Bible, what chapter would I have? Many of them say I would have Romans chapter 8. In fact, John Piper says this. He says the book of Romans is the greatest book in the Bible. Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. And Romans 8.1 is the greatest verse in the Bible. And so this one, we're going to jump in and see this, this great chapter that helps us know how we can walk in victory. So if you got your Bibles, Romans chapter 8. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back a page to chapter 7. And you're like, I thought we were going to be in the greatest chapter. We are, but we got to see why the greatest chapter is the greatest chapter. And Romans 8 is great because of the dilemma that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. Paul is going to get very honest about his own life and his own struggle with sin. And he's going to articulate what most of us experience in the Christian life. He's going to get very honest about his own battle every day, and he's going to say some things that you and I can relate to, and he's going to be very honest, and I think some of us in the room might even breathe a little sigh of relief knowing you're not alone, that you're in the company of the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says, Romans chapter 7, verse 15, Let me give you a couple of these verses. He says this, he says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Can anybody relate to that? I don't, even, I don't even understand my actions. Like I, I do the things that I don't want to do and then I don't do the things that I want to do. And I think all of us can find ourselves there. Verse 18, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh or in his fallen nature, the sinful nature. He says, for I have a desire to do what is right. So I want to please God. I want to do the right thing. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm walking in holiness. He says, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. And in verse 19, he says, for I do not do the good that I want But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anybody relate to that? Like This is the struggle of the Christian life. This is the dilemma for the Apostle Paul. He is overwhelmed with his battle with sin. On the one hand, he says... I desire to please God. I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to obey him. I want to walk in obedience. But on the other side, there is these temptations and there's this flesh that continues to battle the things that I really want to do for the Lord. And so there's this constant tension in his life. And what he's describing is the reality of the Christian life. This is the reality of the Christian life. You see, let me explain it like this. So before Jesus, my life was pretty simple. My life was pretty simple. I just sinned. Anybody with me? Like, I just sinned. I just did what I wanted to do. I had these natural impulses, and I just behaved as I didn't really care. I just did those things. Now, there were times as an unredeemed sinner, I just would sin, where because I was maybe taught a certain thing about a certain thing that I would know right from wrong, and I would feel guilty because I knew I'd disappoint my parents, or or it would probably uh, make them sad if they knew that I did these things, or maybe because they taught me some principles that I wanted to live according to. And so there were times where I would do the right thing, but I would do so because I didn't want to disappoint them or because I felt like this was probably the right thing to do. Other times, I wouldn't do the things that I wanted to do, and I would say no to sin because I knew the consequences, and I knew I would get in big trouble if I did them. And so, so before Jesus' life was pretty simple. I just sinned, and when I didn't sin, I still sinned because I didn't sin for selfish reasons, which is a sin, So the only reason I wouldn't was because I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to feel bad or I didn't want to disappoint someone. But there was nothing in me that desired to please God. It was only about me. But when I met Jesus, everything changed. All of a sudden, now I was awakened to a new nature. There was the, I was made alive in him, and now there was this desire through the Holy Spirit of wanting to please God. Now, I didn't want to do the things that I used to do. I wanted to do the things that God wanted me to do. I wanted to say no to sin because saying no to sin meant saying yes to Jesus. So now there was this new nature that had new desires in me, but the old desires didn't go away. There was still a struggle with sin. There were still this, this temptations that would rise up. And even today, I've been saved since 1993. God changed my life a long time ago. And there are still struggles today where the old person is trying to war against the new person. But now there is this definitive tug of war in my heart where, like the Apostle Paul, there are these things that I want to do, and sometimes I don't do them. And there are things that I don't want to do, and that's what I end up doing. And I think we all can relate to this. And this can leave us sometimes feeling defeated, like, like, man, there's no hope for me. And Paul even gets there. Look what he says in verse number 24. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I don't know if you've ever felt like this. Or it's just like, man, I, I, wretched man that I am, like, like well, there's no hope for me. Like, who is going to deliver me from all of this nonsense in my life? Well, Paul answers his own question. He answers his own question. Here is his answer to the question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is simply going to say in this uh, passage that yes, wretched man that I am. And it seems like there is no hope, but in Christ there is hope. And then in chapter 8, the greatness of chapter 8, is answering the dilemma of chapter 7 where Paul is going to now explain to us why we can say in the middle of this battle, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So chapter eight, look at what he says in verses one through four. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from uh, Jesus, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So, what Paul is going to do here in these passages is he's going to help us understand why we can thank God for his victory in the midst of our struggle with sin. So, how do we live the victorious Christian life? Here's what I want to do, all right? I want to give you two statements. These two statements are found in verses 1 and verse 2. And these statements are going to help us understand this is how we live victorious in Christ. And here's what they're going to be. They're going to be both sides of the gospel coin. So think of the gospel as a quarter. On one, one of these points I'm going to give you is, is one side, and the other point is the other side. And this is what the gospel can accomplish in our life. And then what I want to do is show you how this is possible, and then give you some practical applications on how to walk in it from this point. Uh, forward. if you're with me, say, I'm with you. So here's truth number one we find in verse number one, the greatest verse according to John Piper and all the Bible. Here's truth number one. If we're going to walk in victory, here's what we need to know. We need to know, listen, you are free from the penalty of sin because you are in Christ. If you are a believer, if you are a saved person in the room, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what you need to know. You are free from the penalty of sin because you are in Christ. Now, this is an unbelievable statement here. Look what he says in verse number one again. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, we know the word condemnation simply means that you are guilty of an offense and there is a penalty or a debt you owe because of that. This is what condemnation means. And this is what Paul is simply saying here. In Christ, there is no condemnation. If you are in Christ, the condemnation over your life, because of your sin, has once and for all been removed. There is now, and never will be, a penalty for your sin. Why? Because you're in Christ, and in Christ, your penalty has already been dealt with. Anybody thankful for that this morning? This is the, the truth of the gospel that we are now standing before God with no condemnation because of our sin. It is not even possible. There is, there is therefore now no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. This is the position we have when we are in Christ. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Uh, some of you might object to this and say, wait a second. Yeah, I understand that I, I, I'm in Christ. Like I'm, I, my sins in the past have been forgiven because I confessed those sins. And right now I'm in right standing before God. And so I understand there's no condemnation. But what about the future when I sin, when I fail, when I mess up, and when the struggle gets real and I give in and all of a sudden I'm where I don't want to be and I find myself in that place. What about then? Is there no condemnation? Listen, no condemnation means no condemnation. You say even future sins? Let me ask you this question. How many of your sins were future sins when Jesus died for your sins? All of them. So on the cross of Jesus, when he paid the price for your sin, every single sin you would ever commit were future sins when he died for them. And this is the freedom that we have in Christ. The penalty once and for all, forever, has been removed. Past, present, and future sins completely gone forever. This is unbelievable. That this is the glory of what Christ has accomplished for us. You say, why is this important? And how does this help me with my battle with sin? You see, what we said last week was this, is that whenever we sin, our natural tendency is to what? We want to cover our sin or we claim we have no sin. So we want to cover it, pretend we don't have it, or we want, we want to downplay our sin as a way of saying, my sin is not a real issue. And why do we do this? Because of guilt of shame, because of fear of condemnation. We're afraid that we're going to be condemned by others. We're afraid we're going to be condemned by God. And therefore, rather than dealing with our sin, we cover our sin. Another way of saying it is that we perform or we pretend. So when we're caught in our sin, I'm going to perform. I'm going to do better next time. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get it together. I'm going to make sure that everyone sees that I'm more righteous than this. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it better. And I'm going to make sure that in my effort, I accomplish what I think it is God wants of me. Or we pretend. We just pretend that we don't have a struggle with sin. And we do this because we're not standing in confidence in the reality that in Christ there is no condemnation for you. You see, when I know that there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ, I don't live in fear of being condemned by others or being condemned by God. Because listen, by the way, if I'm no longer condemned by God, it doesn't matter what others say. You know what that means for me? I can get honest about my sin. I don't have to walk in the shame and the guilt of my sin. I can drag my sin out of the dark into the light and let the healing power of the gospel work in me. But as long as I keep my sin in the dark, I stay, stay and remain a slave to the sin. Listen, believer, listen, hear me say this. You, you have been forgiven. And the condemnation of your sin if you're in Christ no longer remains on you. I love how Paul says this. Listen to this. He says, there is therefore, what does he say next? Now. Now. You got it. There is therefore what? Now, what? No condemnation. When? Say it. When is there no condemnation? And tomorrow? Now. And the next day? Now. Whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, if you are in Christ, listen, It could be next week. It could be next year. If you screw up royally, here's what you need to know. The truth remains. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. So don't stay in your sin. Drag it out of the dark into the light because, listen, the condemnation no longer remains on you. How great is that? See, what many of us do is we take our sin and we treat it like a beach ball in a pool. We see how deep we can shove it and how long we can hold it. So, that, right, so we, we, we kind of bury it underneath the surface of the water and eventually our arms are going to give out and what we're suppressing is going to come out, right? And so for many of us, what we do is we kind of stuff sin like the beach ball in the pool. But here's what you need to know. Eventually, the things that you're suppressing will come out of your life. It will expose you. Be sure your sins will find you out. But when you stand knowing that therefore now in Christ there is no condemnation, I don't have to suppress it. I can confess it. I can get honest before the Lord. I can get honest before others, and I can walk in the freedom that is mine in Jesus Christ. Here's number two. Here's the second truth that we need to get. So number one is we are free from the penalty of sin because you are in Christ. Number two is you are being freed from the power of sin because the Holy Spirit is in you. So the first is the penalty is dealt with because you're in Christ. Now the power of sin is being dealt with because the Holy Spirit is in you. This is the flip side of the gospel coin. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, I want to kind of unpack some words here for you so we can understand what's going on in the text. Paul will, in, in Romans, use the law in a number of ways. He'll refer to the law as number one, the Mosaic law, the the law of God, the the righteous commands of God for our life. Uh, He will also use law in reference to a principle or a governing rule over our life. And then he'll use it as a power or force, a force or power in our life. And he'll use it in all of those ways. I believe that it's the second and the third or a combination of both or one of those in this passage of Scripture. He's not talking about Mosaic law. He's not talking about the law of God that, that, that makes us right with him, that his, de- his demands and expectations. Here's what I think he's saying. For the law of the Spirit of life or the power or the new governing principle of the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the governing law, the power of sin and death. Let me let me give you a a paraphrase for this found in the New Living Translation. Here's what they say. It says, And because you belong to him, belong to Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What is Paul simply saying? When you are forgiven in Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit now has has broken the chains of sin that bound you, that held you captive. Now there is a new power at work in your life, and it's not the power of sin and death. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that sets you free from the power of sin and death. That now in Christ Christ, My penalty has been removed, but now in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit in me, the power of sin is being removed from my life. This is the flip side of the gospel coin. Now I want to do something here. I want to to recap. I want to recap verse 1 and 2 so we get it, and then I want to show you some theological truths that emerge from there that I think are important. They're critical for us to understand, and and then I'm going to show you uh, how this is possible, how what God has done for us in Christ through the Spirit makes this possible in our life. So let me kind of recap. Verse verse 1, here's what we discover. We discover that we have been set free from sin's penalty because we are in Christ. Everybody say amen to that. We also learn in verse 2 that we are being freed from sin's power because the Holy Spirit is in us. There's a new governing power at work in our life that has freed us from the power that was once there, sin and death. So everybody say amen to that. So what, what Paul is describing here in verse, both of these two verses are two theological terms. It's justification and sanctification. Now, I know those are kind of heady words. I want to walk you through them for a moment because I think we've got to understand this. We're going to walk in freedom. We need to understand justification, and we need to understand sanctification, and we need to see how God has done both of these in Christ through the Spirit so that now we can be set free. So let me give you a definition of justification. Justification is the act of God declaring us not guilty of our sin because we have placed our faith in the saving work of Jesus. So it's the act of God, not us. It's the act of God declaring us as not guilty. Now, how many of you are guilty of sin? Raise your hand. There should be 100% participation on that question. All of us. But when we place our faith in Jesus, his righteousness is given to us, and God declares that we are not guilty. Guilty of our sin. Isn't that great? That's justification. It goes on. Listen to this. This means that the penalty of our sin has been removed and God now sees us in the perfection of Jesus. This means, listen to this, that the penalty of our sin has been removed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful the penalty of my sin has been removed. But you know what I'm I'm more grateful for is the last phrase. And God now sees us in the perfection of Jesus. Believer, you need to hear me say this this morning. That when, if you're in Christ, what God sees when He sees you, and I don't mean when He sees you on your best day, I'm talking about your worst day. In your darkest moments, if you're in Christ, when he sees you on that day, here's what he sees. He doesn't see the failure, broken decisions. He doesn't see the sin that stained you. He doesn't see the defeat that's over your life in that moment. Here's what he sees. He sees the perfection of his son. When he sees you, if you are in Christ, he does not see your sin. He sees your, his son, rather. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his son because you're in Christ. So think about this. If I was to get on the stage and get into a sleeping bag and close up the sleeping bag, I'm in the sleeping bag. What are you going to see on stage? What are you going to say? Let's say it. Like You're like, I I think this is a trick question. It's not the Jonas Brothers question, all right? There is an answer. You're going to see the sleeping bag. You're going to say, yeah, but you're in the sleeping bag. Yes, but you're going to see the sleeping bag. This is why I love the fact the gospel constantly refers to us as being in Christ. You are in Christ. His death has become your death. His life has become your life. And when the Father sees you, he sees you in the Son. Therefore, listen, you need to understand that oftentimes what we do is we want to conceal and cover our sin. And we want to run from God. But when we understand that I'm standing in Christ and when he sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus in me. Here's what that does for me. It frees me to run to him, not away from him. Because oftentimes I think God just sees me as one big failure and one big defeat. And man, he just is so angry. and He's ready to throw the gauntlet down on me. And what am I going to do? I'm going to hide in the shadows. But listen, I'm going to come to the light when I understand that when he sees me, he doesn't see the failure. He sees the success of his son. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And that is who I am in. And if you're in Christ, that is who you are in. This is good news. So that's justification. Here's sanctification. Sanctification is the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in us freeing us from sinful behavior and desires with the goal of making us more like, more and more like Jesus. So I want you to break this down for a minute. It's the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say continuing. continuing. You know what that just simply means? You ain't there yet. It's the continuing. This is why chapter 7 is real. It's a process. It's the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. It's not your work. You don't produce sanctification You you are not sanctified by your effort. You are sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, here's the thing. Everybody say, in us. Why is it in us? Because sanctification isn't your exterior behavior. It's the internal condition of your heart. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us from the inside out. New desires, new, new, new longings in our heart transforming us on the inside. And when I change on the inside, I'll change on the outside. And I love this. He's gonna. This is more clear in a moment. And so, so the Spirit um, uh, is, is a continuing work of the Holy Spirit in us, freeing us from sinful behavior and desires with the goal of making us more and more like Jesus. Now, now follow this. Freeing us from sinful behavior and desire. So he's going to change my behavior, but don't miss this. He's also going to change my desires. Now why is this important? Sanctification is not behavior modification. Sanctification is not just about the Holy Spirit causing you to do the right thing in the moment. See, so many of us, we can will ourselves into obedience. Now, we can do this for so long, and then we're going to fail again, or we're going to become self-righteous if we're good at it, right? Right? But if we're just focusing on, i got to stop bad behavior, then we're going to be either left with self-righteousness or we're going to collapse under the weight of the responsibility of trying to change who I am. But here's what the Holy Spirit does. He sanctifies us, which means He does address our behavior, but He does so by addressing our desires. You see, when the Holy Spirit works inside of me, he's going to give me new appetites. He's going to give me new longings. There's going to be a new, new want in me to want to pursue Jesus. Now it's not about saying no to sin. It's about saying yes to Jesus. It's an internal work where he changes us on the inside, giving us new appetites, new desires, with the goal of what? Making us more and more like Jesus. So let me just simplify sanctification. It's the process of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, making you look like Jesus. Scripture says you're in Christ. Everybody say amen. Amen. You're in Christ. Through the process of the Holy Spirit, you're becoming who you already are. The Holy Spirit is refining your heart and your life, and He's making you look more and more and more like the one you're in. The fruit of the Spirit is not some spiritual realm that we're trying to grab and put into our life, you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? It's the character of Jesus being produced through our life, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And listen, as we walk with Him, we're going to see this in a minute, this takes place in our life. But listen, don't miss this. i got to make sure we, we don't miss what happens here. These two are inseparable. Justification and sanctification are inseparable. They're inseparable. You don't have one without the other now let's make sure we understand the order paul in verse 1 talks about justification and in verse 2 talks about sanctification now they're 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 the opposite sides of the gospel coin but justification always comes before sanctification so, so this is important because many of us feel like at times, listen, I know how to be justified. i got to be sanctified. And so I want to be better, do better, act better, and I want to change my life, clean myself up. And if I clean myself up, I can present myself to God. I'll get there, and then he'll receive me. What are we doing? We're trying to be sanctified in order to be justified, and it can never happen. So Paul says it's justification that leads to sanctification. So listen, it's justification leading to sanctification, but if there is no sanctification, most likely there's no what? There's no justification. We've got to get the order right, but we've got to understand they're also inseparable. So while you cannot be justified by your sanctification, if you are truly justified, you will be in the process of sanctification. And if there is no sanctification, listen to me, there is no salvation. Paul makes this very clear. throughout the. Letter here, especially in Romans eight, that the evidence of the Christian life, the evidence that you belong to Jesus, that you are saved, that you are justified, is that you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So when Paul wants to give evidence of your salvation, he doesn't say, hey, "Go back to the point in time where you prayed a prayer." No, no. He's going to say, "Do you have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit in your life? Is He freeing you from sin?" Those are the evidence. The Spirit of God bears witness that, that our, with our Spirit that we belong to Him. Justification will always lead to sanctification. Listen to what J.D. Greer says about this. He says, The necessary complement to forgiveness of sin is a release from the power of sin. It's the other side of the salvation coin. If you are forgiven, you will be changed. If Jesus' death releases you from the penalty of sin, His resurrection life, which is through the Spirit, starts to release you from the power of sin. And this is the beauty of the gospel. And this is how we live the victorious Christian life. So here's the question we've got to ask. How does God accomplish this? How does God bring about justification that I can have confidence in? And how does this produce sanctification that I can grow in? And I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to give you the answer. In fact, Paul's going to give the answer. They're found in verses 3 and 4. In, in, verses thir- in verse 3, Paul is going to help us understand justification, how, how Jesus justifies us, and he's going to show us in verse 4 how we are sanctified because we have been justified by Jesus. So look at verse 3, if you would. I love this. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How? By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Now follow what he's saying here. He says God has done what the law couldn't. There was a limitation to the law. The law had limitations. What was the limitation? It was weakened by the flesh. Here's what I mean. When Paul talks about law here, he is talking about the law of God, the Mosaic law. And he's simply saying, is said, the law was limited. The law could reveal sin. Don't miss this, but it couldn't remove sin. It could show us that we're living the wrong way, but it could not empower us to live the right way. So the law was weakened. Why? By the flesh. Because our sinful nature doesn't want to cooperate. We're, we're sinful, broken people. Spiritually, we're dead. Therefore, the law could say we're wrong, but it couldn't fix the problem. Because the flesh got in the way. God has now done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Think about it like this. The, some people try to use the law to be made right with God. And so they say, I just got to be a better person. I got to live according to commands. I've got to do, I got to do, I got to do. And maybe if I do, I'll, I'll, I'll be received by God. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The, the, the law can't produce this in you. So let, let me kind of illustrate it like this. How many of you looked in a mirror today? Anybody here? All right, so most of you probably looked in a mirror. Some of you probably needed to and, and didn't, but... Um, and <laughs> so... Have you ever looked in the mirror and saw something in your teeth? All right, so if you, if you look in the mirror and you see something in your teeth, you're going to be aware of something in your teeth. How many of you ever tried to pull the mirror off the wall to use the mirror to be a toothpick to get the thing out of your teeth? I'm, I'm thinking a goose egg here. Nobody, right? Because that would be dumb. Why would you pull the mirror off the wall? The, the mirror isn't designed to remove what's in your teeth. It's there to reveal what's in your teeth. So what do you do? You get a toothpick. Why? Because the toothpick was meant to remove what is in your teeth. And so many of us are using the law as both the mirror and the toothpick. And it was never meant to be that. It exposes our sin, but it doesn't deliver you from it. But listen, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, God did. How? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, when He says in the likeness of sinful flesh, don't miss this. Jesus came in the flesh. He's 100% man, 100% God. But Paul says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. So while he came in the flesh, he did not have sinful flesh because he was perfect in every way. Therefore, he was just in the likeness of sinful flesh. Does that make sense? Why? So he came for this purpose that he might be condemned, or sin might be condemned for us in the flesh. Here's what God did. Here's the dilemma that God solved. Here's how we're justified. The law exposes our sin, couldn't change our hearts, couldn't change our nature, couldn't lead us into obedience, and couldn't deal with the condemnation of our sin. The law could only condemn, could not remove the condemnation. But God dealt with the condemnation. How? He sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh so that in the sinful flesh, Jesus might die in our place, that he in the flesh might be condemned, receive the penalty of our sin for us, so that in him there no longer remains condemnation over us. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, listen to me, he didn't just die, he died for sin. He was condemned in the flesh. All of the condemnation that we deserved in our flesh because of our sin, because of our failure, Jesus in the flesh was condemned for us so that the condemnation might be dealt with in him and not in you and me, which means we can sing with the hymn writer that says Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Jesus was condemned in the flesh so that I wouldn't have to be condemned in the flesh. This is how we are justified. This is how the condemnation of God is removed from our life. The penalty and the debt of our sin has been fully paid for. So, um, let me illustrate it like this: Why this is so important for us to understand that Jesus was condemned for us? I've been known to get speeding tickets. Like I drive like I talk, very fast, and I've been known to get speeding tickets and. Um, my wife, on the other hand, has never, it's never, never had a speeding ticket. And she reminds me sometimes, she's never had a speeding ticket. So if there's a police officer in the room, I need a favor, pull her over, give her a ticket, I'll be happy to pay it because it might deal with some of the self-righteousness in my home. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm totally kidding, I'm totally kidding. Um, but but when, I, when I get a speeding ticket, a lot of times my wife will take the checkbook and she'll write the check, she'll put in an envelope and she'll mail it off. Or go online and deal with the ticket. So imagine I get a ticket and she does that. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, I get a notice at my house saying, you, you need to pay for your ticket. And my response is, well, my wife paid for it. And, and they say, yeah, we took her payment. We're grateful for that. But you're the one who, 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 the one who sped. And so, therefore, you owe a payment as well. Now, let me ask you this question. Would that be just or unjust? That'd be unjust. Why? Because they're making me pay twice for a single offense. The payment, the debt... The penalty has already been paid for. Therefore, for me to have to pay it again would be unjust. Listen to me. God is not unjust. The penalty for your sin if you're in Christ, the penalty for my sin if I'm in Christ, was dealt with in Christ. Yes, he was perfect. Yes, he was sinless. But he died as if he was the guilty party. And listen, God is not, now that I am in Christ, going to charge me for a penalty that has already been paid for by Jesus It has been dealt with once and for all. And therefore, because of this, I stand before God. You stand before God completely justified. No condemnation whatsoever. But listen, that's justification. Let me give you sanctification sanctification is verse 4 how does he accomplish this and this is where we'll begin to see the victory that we're longing for now he says that God did for us in verse uh, 4 what the uh, verse 3 rather what the law could not do weakened by the flesh he did through the son and listen why he did it in order that so why did God condemn sin in the flesh in Christ for me in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, don't miss this. I want to explain to you what Paul uh, is not saying and then tell you what he is saying. Paul is not referring here to the, the righteous requirements of the law being fulfilled in us as what we would call, in theological terms, imputed righteousness. In other words, when I'm justified... The righteousness of Jesus is applied to my life so that when God sees me, he sees Jesus' righteousness. Now, I'm grateful for that, and that is true. Amen? Paul unpacks this in other parts of Romans. But in this particular passage here, he's not talking about imputed righteousness that's given to me, but actual righteousness that's being produced in me. This is why the language is important. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. If it was imputed righteousness, it would say the the, the law might be fulfilled for us. But now in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the righteous requirements of the law, the life that God desires for me to live, is now being produced in me. It's being fulfilled in me. How? For those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Listen, believer, don't miss this. The, the in order that is important you were saved not just to give you some life insurance when this life is over god did not redeem you just so that the condemnation of sin might be removed listen he he he, he is he is reconciled and he has justified you to himself given you the holy spirit so that the power of sin might be broken in your life today It is not as if God goes, okay, you're justified, figure it out. One day you'll die, and when you get to heaven, things will be better. No, 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 no. He says, I'm going to justify you, and then I'm going to put my spirit inside of you, and I'm doing this because my aim of your salvation is your holiness. How does this holiness happen? It's being fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. How? How do we walk now? But according to the spirit. This is how he sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit in us, producing the righteousness of Christ in us. You see, the key to the Christian life, do not miss this, the key to the victorious Christian life is the Holy Spirit being active in us. The key to the Christian life, the key to your holiness, isn't your willpower. We'll see that in a second. It is the Holy Spirit's power. This is why, for the first seven chapters of Romans, by the way, I don't know if you know this, the first seven chapters of Romans, the Holy Spirit is mentioned one time. But in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the answer for the dilemma that we find in Romans chapter 7. The Holy Spirit now gives us the spiritual power we need to say no to sin and say yes to Jesus. It is not by the flesh, but by the Spirit And so listen, we've got to understand, it's not in you, it's in the power that God has given you in the Holy Spirit. So let me give you two practical applications, and these are going to be very simple, very kind of bottom shelf type applications, but I've discovered in my own life, it's it's the basic stuff that I miss that leads to sometimes the failures in my life. So I'm going to give you two. I wish I could give you more, but I'm going to give you two applications here that I think this is where you begin to walk in. This justification, the sanctification. Now, what do I need to know in order to go live in this? Here's number one. Don't miss this. Listen to this. It's simple, but it's great. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. Listen, there are no second class Christians. It's not like you got Christians that have the Spirit and Christians that don't have the Spirit. And so many of us, we live as if we're the ones that, I'm just a second-class Christian. I don't know how to live what God wants me to live. And I'm just defeated and I'm broken. I wish I could be like someone else. And most of the time, we live that way as a way to excuse our sin because we really don't want to submit to the one that's in us. But if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. Look what he says here in verse 9. He says this. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, talking about believers, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone, listen to this, who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The word dwells here. He's talking about the Spirit dwelling in you. The word there in the Greek language is not referring to someone who is an occasional or temporary visitor, but rather someone who is a permanent resident. If you're in, the hol- if the ho- if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. He is a permanent resident in your life. You say, well, I don't think I have the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul would say, listen, in love, then then you don't have Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not in Christ. But if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And you know what that means for you? Look what he says in verse number 11. He says, if the Spirit of Him, this is the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of Him, Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the Dead dwells, lives, abides in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's what he says He says, Listen, if you're in Christ, the spirit is in you, which means the very power of God that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and he's at work in your life. And here's what that means you're not defeated by sin. You don't have to live a life where it's failure after failure. When temptation comes, when desires come that are contrary to what God has has for your life, you need to know I'm in Christ. The spirit is in me. Therefore, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I do not have to succumb to sin. I can walk in victory because the very power that got Jesus up from the grave is the same power that's in work in me today. How good is that? This is where the life of victory comes from. Here's number two. Number two is good and it's simple, but it's good. The Christian life isn't about working harder, but walking closer. The Christian life is not about working harder. This is why he says what he says in verse 4. He says, In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, listen, the Holy Spirit of God is not a power or a force you're trying to tap into. It's a person you're growing in relationship with. This is why you walk with the Holy Spirit. You keep in step. According to Paul in Galatians chapter number five, he says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Walk by the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be in fellowship with the Spirit. And here's what we discover. That as I walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, as I think like He thinks and and begin to let His heart become my heart, here's what happens. Christ is formed in me and He changes me. And this is not because I've had self-will or self-effort or I've white-knuckled myself to some sort of measure of obedience, but rather because the one that's permeating my life is transforming my life. And here's just what I've learned. The more the Spirit of God permeates me, the more, like Jesus, I look. And the more His righteous life is lived through me. Listen, this is the key to the victory in Christ You've been justified, and now you are being sanctified. You've been free from the penalty of sin because you're in Christ. You are being freed from the power of sin because the Holy Spirit is in you. And listen, if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And so, here's my challenge for you: Don't work harder; walk closer. So, so here's two questions, two questions, and we're going to have a time of response. First question is this: Please wrestle with this one. Do you know without a doubt that you are in Christ? Do you know without a doubt that you're in Christ? Here's another way of saying it. Same question. This is a question I want you to ask yourself. Am I genuinely saved? Here's why this is important. If you are unsettled in this area right here, it is going to be really hard to walk in victory. Because if I'm insecure about whether or not I am saved or not, I am not going to have the confidence of justification. Therefore, I am not going to have the confidence to walk in the sanctification. So if this is unsettled in your heart, my prayer for you is that for some of you who are doubting, maybe those doubts will be settled today. And listen, if the answer is no, you are not saved, you've never been transformed by the gospel, here's the thing you need to know, that you are not justified. Which means there is condemnation for you. But that can be removed today by trusting in Jesus. And when that happens the struggles in your life that seem to just defeat your life and kill your relationships and destroy the things around you, all of a sudden now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll begin to see a life transformation happen. But you've got to wrestle with this. If you've not been justified, don't even think about being sanctified. You just need to deal with this. Answer this question today. Here's the second question for those of you who say, yes, I am saved. I know that I am in Christ. I know that I'm justified. Here's the second question. Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, or is there sin you are tolerating that is grieving him or disobedience that is quenching his work in you. Is there areas of your life right now that you're saying, you know what, I've I've grown content with these sinful behaviors in my life. And for some of you, you just justified them by going, but they're not that big and they're not really hurting people around me. Listen, the effect of sin is not just the consequences that it has maybe in your life or in the those around you. You know the greatest reason we should confess our sin is because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin quenches the Spirit's work in our life. Well, the Spirit of God is the power of the Christian life. And so when you quench the Spirit, when you grieve the Spirit, the very power of God that is in you, that is meant to sanctify you, is not as active in your life as He wants to be. And therefore, listen, we cannot tolerate even the smallest sin. We need to confess our sin. We need to practice what we learned last week and get honest before the Lord. Get specific. Have confidence in knowing that the Holy Spirit is going to work to deliver me from it. But listen, if we tolerate sin, it will grieve the Holy Spirit. Listen, it will quench His work in your life. So the question you need to ask right now, is the Spirit of God is active in your life as He wants you want Him to be? And if not, what is it in your life that you're allowing to remain, that He wants to remove, that's quenching the work that He wants to accomplish? I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to sing for a moment. And I want you to wrestle with these questions as we think about the, the justification, the sanctification, the life that God has called us to live. I'm going to pray over you, and I want us to meditate on these verses just for a moment. Let's pray. God, I love you. And I thank you and I pray, Lord, that these questions would be considered with urgency in our life and that there would be an awareness that you have called us to holiness and that you have made it possible through the cross of Christ and through the dwelling, indwelling of the Spirit you've given us. So those who doubt their salvation, who are not certain of their salvation, may be certain today. And those who are certain of their salvation, God, I pray that they would Walk in the fullness of the spirit by confessing sin and tapping in to the person that gives us the power to live victorious. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing and let's worship for a moment this morning.
0: I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903 759 5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.